Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Can you imagine yourself holding in your hands a razor-sharp sword? Would you wield it around wildly, blindly? Chances are you wouldn't do that because you realize that a razor-sharp double-edged sword is quite dangerous. It could be deadly if misused. And, And of course, as an instrument that is dangerous and potentially lethal, you would want to put your mind and carefully evaluate the way you use it. Carefully evaluate what you do with it. Protect it, perhaps. But the use you make of that sword most likely will depend on the state of your heart at that moment. If your heart is particularly violent, chances are you would be more prone to use that sword and damage with it. Now, assume that you have that sword in your hands in a situation in which most people around you are hostile to you. They're persecuting you. They're out to get you, to harm you. Would, Would it not be tempting to use a sword and to go from the defensive to the offensive? Well, you see, that's the same situation that James addressed with the Jewish Christians that were scattered after certain events occurred in Jerusalem, after Stephen was stoned and the persecution began in Jerusalem. But now to bring it home, I would like for you to look at your notes. If you've been writing down anything, you wrote most likely the word sword. Look at the word sword and now take away the S. And what do you have? You have a word. And the word can be just as dangerous, just as cutting, just as lethal as a weapon. In fact, people say that sometimes a word, a spoken word, a written word, can even be more lethal, more damaging. And the repercussions of that can be far further reaching than any weapon. Now, James addressed that situation because the Christians at that time that he was writing to the Jewish Christians that had been scattered from Jerusalem were in a particular situation. They were being persecuted. They were being attacked. Some of them were damaged and destroyed and sacrificed and uh, killed. They were martyred. And it was particularly tempting for them to use their words 
and sometimes even the word of God in an inappropriate way. Now, who was James? This James who wrote the letter. He was a brother of Jesus. He was a brother of Jesus, and he was also the pastor, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So he knew these people. He wrote to people that he had met before. He had known personally, individually, and he was writing to them with the attitude, with the mind, and with the instructions that a shepherd would want to share with his flock. His letter was written to people that had witnessed uh, the death of Stephen, the people that had witnessed many other incidents like that, people that were targeted by their own communities, people that had to flee for their own life, and even where they were, sometimes their life was in danger. And he immediately begins this letter by addressing the persecutions that these people are suffering, asking them to endure the afflictions in Christ, asking them to seek, God, to seek God's wisdom in their trials rather than try to understand them through the human wisdom that they may draw from. He was encouraging them not to blame God for the evil that is around them and that they may see and be tempted by and reminding them that God is a giver of all good gifts. He encouraged them to be quick to hear and slow to speak to never forget that words have power, now not a magical type of power whereby you use words and make things happen. That's not what, what he's talking about. But power to affect the mind and the spirit of the person who is speaking as well as the person who is hearing. The words you have received in Jesus are words of life, words of salvation. And such words must be applied, however. You cannot just hear them and forget them. They need to be applied. They need to be used, even in difficult circumstances. And he went on to say, you must control the tongue. You must control the tongue. You must demonstrate with your speech and your behavior that the words of Christ dwell in you, that the Holy Spirit is in you, that God dwells in you, and that you are guided by him and his wisdom and not by the things of this world. He went on telling them that their life must be a life of service and love, transformed by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God that was within them, and reminded them that partiality itself is a sin to be avoided, while genuine faith and trust in God must be shown in the behavior, in the demeanor of the individual. And it is in that context, right in the middle of the letter, that James addresses the power of the tongue, both in the church, through the teachings given to the church, as well as individually, in our individual, personal lives in Christ. Now, why is it so important to control the tongue? Why was James so adamant about speaking so much in that short letter about the tongue? Because it is a powerful tool. And because life and death are well within the domain of the tongue. God's word on one hand, as we read in James brings about salvation and life. It brings about healing, refreshment, and guidance. On the other hand, a worldly tongue is a source of all kinds of evil and of death and destruction. Now in that section that we just read in James 3, verses 1 to 12, we find that James provides for us tools, tools that we can use to, if you please, diagnose a problem to understand the problem, what the problem is, the nature of the problem, to understand the symptoms and the signs of the problem, to understand the sorts of the problem, and also to understand what we can do and how. In the first part, in the first two verses, it gives us tools to understand what the problem is. And God gives through James 
the tools that we need to find the state of our heart, to remember that our human nature would normally be drawn towards sin and not holiness. It tells us that we can formulate an accurate diagnosis of the state of a heart by looking at what comes out of a heart through the tongue, through the mouth, through the words that we speak. It addresses the teachers and reminds the teachers in the church that it is through their words or through the words that God has given them that you can understand the spiritual condition of the church as well as through the words of an individual you can understand the spiritual condition of the person, of the individual himself. He tells us in verse 1, don't be many teachers, because teachers will have to be accountable to God much more than others. Why? Because they represent the mouth of the body of Christ. They represent that little tongue, that little instrument that gives direction to the body of Christ. And you can tell, you can go to a church anyway, any church, and listen to the preaching. And you have a feeling from the preaching, from what comes out of the teachers, whether in a classroom or in a service or in a sermon or something like that, or even in comments that are made in between. But what that church is teaching will give an idea of the direction of the entire body, where that church is going. That's what the mouth does. That's what the words do. They train our thinking. They come from a heart, but they also train the heart. Because the natural heart of the people is not godly, however, our natural tendency would be to stumble and fall in our speaking because that speaking would come from a natural heart, which is by nature, as we read in Romans, is hostile to God. In verse 2, we find out that both collectively as a church as well as individually, we cannot control what we say and keep it godly and we are reminded that the tongue is a very difficult tool to keep at bay. We are reminded that by ourselves, in fact, we are unable to even control it. And then sooner or later, what is in the heart will come out. And the natural heart does not have a lot of godliness in there. On the other hand, it reminds us also that if we can control the teaching of a church, you can control the direction of the church. If you can control the words of the mouth of an individual, you can control also where the individual, the whole body is going, the whole person is going. So at the same time, it reminds us that, yes, what we say comes from the heart, and we need God in the heart in order to be able to control it properly, but it also reminds us that what we say gives a direction to the heart, and it gives us a tool that we can use to work with that. Now, what are the symptoms and the signs? In verses 3 and 3 to 5, God shows us that we can recognize the problem and recognize that the problem really is stemming from the heart. What signs should we look for then? How important is it for us to pay close attention to them? There are two illustrations that are given by James in there. One is a horse. You bridle the horse and you put something in the mouth of a horse. Why? To control where the, the entire horse goes. You don't see the head going one way and the legs going in a different direction. When you direct the head in a certain direction, a whole horse will follow in that direction. And you bridle the horse, you try to control his mouth in order to control the whole body. And likewise, what we say, our words, our tongue, can very well control the direction that we take. You know, if I start speaking evil against someone, eventually I will start thinking evil against that person. If I start talking to, say, my wife in a hostile way, it's only a matter of time until I will have a heart filled with hostility toward her. The second example is a ship. 
And James was inspired by God to remind us how big a ship can be and how incredible the weight and the mass of that ship can be and how it takes mighty winds to move it and yet a very small rudder can change the direction of a whole ship. And when you look at it in proportion to the, to the mass of the ship, it's really very small. It's a beautiful illustration that God inspired him to use. The tongue can set the direction even against strong winds of influence. But I think one of the best illustrations comes from 1 Corinthians 13. It is a passage that oftentimes people, couples especially, request to include in their weddings because it describes love. And they want to make it part of their vow to one another. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it's written, love is patient. But before we read the rest, let us understand one thing. What comes out of a heart that is filled with love? What kind of speech is this passage here talking about? What does it say to us in terms of the way the tongue will reflect the love that is in the heart? Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it's not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account the wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. So a tongue that is led by a loving heart <clears throat> can be easily recognizable because it will be patient and long-suffering in the speech. That individual will talk in a kind manner, that individual will rejoice in the truth and his words will, or her words will reflect that. That tongue will speak in a way that believes in God in all things, for all things. Finds hope in God for all things. It will find in the speech of that person endurance, not in themselves, but in God, in Christ and in the presence of God within them. Not bragging, so you're not going to hear them speaking about themselves, all sorts of marvelous and wonderful things about themselves, bragging to everybody on how good they are. You will not hear them being puffed up and arrogant. You will not hear them talking jealously. You will not hear them talking rudely or, prov or provoking and not expressing evil thoughts and evil things, but bearing all things in Christ. You can tell that that person, an individual who speaks that way, has a heart, and the heart is filled with love and gives out that love. And Jesus Christ made a very good point about that in Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, Jesus taught us in verse 34, he taught the uh, religious people of his day, and he left a warning for us when he said, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of the, that which fills the heart. And a good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And an evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word, word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So there is indeed power in the words, but it's not a magical type of power because what you speak is magically going to come to pass. There is power because those words reflect the state of the heart. 
And Jesus said, you cannot have a good heart speak evil words, neither can you have an evil heart speak good words. In verses 5 and 6, then we are reminded that there is an important reason for us to control the tongue. It can lead the whole body into sin and can influence the entire being, not just the behavior, but the heart as well, the thinking as well. And we are reminded that the wrong use of the tongue comes natural to all of us because by nature we tend to be hostile to God, as we mentioned before. The tongue then is compared to a wildfire. We have seen across the U.S. in in recent days how a little fire can start a major problem. In the past, in the dryness down in California, there have been massive fires. But they all started with a little something, a spark, sometimes a cigarette thrown, or somebody that lit a fire and did not control it properly, or other reasons. Combustion in a dry and the heat of the summer. But a little fire can spread quickly, uncontrollably. James was inspired by God to call the tongue a world of iniquity, polluting the whole body and the whole life of the Christian and possibly of the church. Let's try to understand it a little better. What Paul, what, uh, I'm sorry, James was inspired to write in here. You're all familiar with a toothpaste, and you're familiar with a toothpaste tube, and you know how it works. It's very easy. Now, I know you can argue with each other whether you should squeeze it from the middle or from the end, but that's not part of our purposes. The fact is that when you squeeze it, and you squeeze too much toothpaste out of it, have you ever tried to put it back in the tube? You know what happens? It's a mess. What you get, what you accomplish, is you make a mess. Now I know the more intelligent people, the more engineering type mind people start thinking, okay, if I take a syringe, you know, and I put the toothpaste inside the syringe, you put it in a tube and I compress it in there, I might be able to put some back in there. But chances are that the pressure inside the tube will spill it out anyway. It's the same with the words. Once they go out, if you try to take them back, it's going to be a messy job. And it's not going to be very easy at all. But God can. God can do that, and that's the good news that we find in this chapter. You cannot do it, I cannot do it, but God can. God can fix the problem. But to appreciate what God needs to do in us, I think I want to bring up another example, another illustration. There was a man that was a gossiper in a small town. And you know what a gossiper in a small town can do? Small towns are famous for that. You know everything about everybody else. And when someone starts a rumor, it goes around like wildfire. And pretty soon the whole town knows. And this man has spread a lot of vicious gossip about many people. And one day he was convicted by God. And he went to a monk in the town and said, I think I really made a mess in here. And he asked the monk to help him to take it back, to correct it, to to undo the harm he had done in that town. So the monk said... I'll tell you what to do. You take a bag of feathers and you go through town and you put a feather in each doorstep of people that you have spread gossip about or to. All right? So you go to the the door of every person in town that you have affected, that you know of, and you leave a feather in their doorstep. Then come back. So... He was a little puzzled, but he did. He took a bag of feathers and went around town and left a feather in each doorstep of the people that he had affected with his gossip. Then he went back to the monk. And the monk told him, 
Now empty your bag, go back, and gather all the feathers that you left in, around town. So he emptied the bag, started going around, and eventually came back after a while with an empty bag. And the monk asked him, what's the matter? Where are all the feathers? And he said, well, the wind took them away, spread them out. I could not find them. I could not retrieve them. It was just impossible for me to pick them up. And the monk looked at him and said, such is your gossip. Once it goes out, you can never take it back. You cannot go back and, and stop it. You cannot shoot an arrow and stop it in midair and say, oops, wait a second, I made a mistake. You cannot pull the trigger in a gun and say, stop the bullet. I didn't mean it. Let me take it back. Such are words. Once they are gone out, they are gone out and they are irretrievable and there is nothing that you and I can do. But again, the good news is that God can be part of a picture. And while no man can tame the tongue, there is one who can. And the God Almighty who can take a drug addict and help him to overcome his drug addiction. The very God who can take a drunkard and help him to overcome his drunkenness. The very God that can take a lustful person and help him or her to overcome the temptation of adultery. That same God can take a gossiper or an individual who has misused the tongue, and that includes all of us, and give us the ability to overcome that member that is so difficult for us to control. But how does God do that? In verses 7 to 9, he points out to the fact that as humans, we are granted the ability to tame and control many things in nature, and yet by ourselves, we would never be able to control the tongue. So how does God do that? Since the tongue goes back, well, eventually you can try to control it by learning not to speak your mind in certain situations. But you know what happens is, what happens is very simple. As soon as your guard is lowered, you will speak your mind again. You know, there are some individuals who are just and fair in many things, but they're so unfair in their speaking. There are so many, especially men in their family, that are so nice and cautious in their behavior and their words outside, in a place of work, in a marketplace maybe, and somewhere else, but then when they come home where they feel comfortable and their guard is lowered and their households, they're heedless and rash, they're mean. There are too many families that find that across the table are shared words that destroy and wound one another. There are all too many children and Christian children and Christian families that are brought up in the midst of provocations among shouting matches in the family, in the house. There are way too many families that have no way of resolving their conflicts, no chimney, so to say, to carry out outside of a house a toxic smoke of badly used words, and they find themselves choking in that toxic smoke in the, within the family. There are too many individuals that live a life like that, but there is a great God who tells us, I can solve it because I can change your heart. The very source of the words can be changed by God. And God says it takes the Holy Spirit to control it. Because without the Holy Spirit, the tongue is nothing but a member that is full of poison and the source of all sorts of evils and of hypocrisy. But the tongue must be controlled. 
And God says, I'll, I'll give you what it takes. I'll give you a new heart. I will abide in you. I will live in your heart. The Holy Spirit comes to abide within us, to transform us, to change us, to change the heart from which those words come out. But controlling it, however, is not just by learning to, to speak appropriately, not just to learn, by learning to, to keep our thoughts for ourselves, or by lying and deceiving others to think of us differently than the way we really are in the heart. Rather, the tongue can and must be controlled through a change of heart, by allowing God to transform our hearts, our minds, and from the abundance of the heart, then allow his love and his presence to be manifest in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 illustrates. And if you read 1 Corinthians 13 again, you will see that just about all of it is about communication. And what an individual who loves another individual communicates through that love and in that love. So it is a change of nature. God inspired James to write, can you change a fountain? Can a fountain give out of the, of the spout anything that is different from what is contained behind that spout? If that reservoir is a reservoir of bitter water, can you expect the sweet water to come out of that spout? No, you can't. It only gives out what is inside. But the miracle that God performs is that he changes that reservoir. He transforms that. He takes that stagnant, stinking water that we had inside and turns it into abundant, living, fresh, crystal clear water that God is going to share with everyone else because it comes from him, the source of it, through us to be a blessing. Through what? The power of the tongue. A tongue that, however, because of the Holy Spirit in us, is now made to serve him. It's given an offer to him. But because it's so insidious, and because even the presence of the Holy Spirit does not take away our human nature, we are cautioned and warned here in James to be careful. To be careful how about, about how we use that tongue, and how we train our mind. Even with the Holy Spirit abiding in us, we can train our minds by using a foul and filthy language, and our thoughts will be foul and filthy. Now, what is going to happen? The question could be asked, what, what am I going to do if wrong thoughts come to my mind, to my heart? Am I supposed to share them and, and speak them out so I would not be a hypocrite, speaking something I don't think? And then, no, that's not the solution. James here points out the fact that if you have a wrong thought, a temptation, first of all, don't accuse God of giving that temptation. The source is different. And that means, as we acknowledge that we are not tempted by God, but we are tempted by either the world around us, the culture around us, or our own mind, our own heart, carnal heart. We acknowledge also that we can tap on the source of all good gifts and all good things, which is God, and reorient our thinking and change our thinking. So the solution that James gives is not to the false thinking that, well, i got to speak up my mind, otherwise I'm a hypocrite. No, because if you speak the wrong thought, you will give in to the temptation. And it will nurture the temptation in your heart, in your mind, in your mouth, in your actions, because speaking is part of the behavior of an individual, it's part of the actions that we do. Rather, what James encourages us to do is to not give in to the temptation, to resist the temptation of speaking the mind in a wrong way and immediately correct the thought, not the tongue itself alone, but correct the thought that is behind it and go back to God and acknowledge the sin with God. And so God, 
my heart is wrong. The reason why I was tempted to say that foul word, the reason why I was tempted to speak to that individual in such a negative way, in such a destructive way, is because my heart is wrong. And I need you to change my heart. And then allow him to speak to us, allow him to put different words in our minds. Ask him, Lord, what do I say? How do I express myself? That person has hurt me and provoked me, and now I feel like letting them have it. But I realize this is not a Christian attitude. And Jesus said, you know, at that time, God will bring the words to your minds that you should use. But being aware of where those words come from, we can now, we are given by God the ability to choose the source whether that is going to be our human, carnal nature, or whether that is going to be the Holy Spirit of God. The tongue, then, has power. And James was inspired by God to teach us that a very important lesson on the tongue, that the tongue has power to direct the entire body, like a, a rudder can direct the entire ship. And the tongue can affect the direction of our entire being, uh, can affect our heart, can, he, can train our heart from which the overall direction of our being comes. And the tongue has the power to destroy. So through and by and with the tongue, we can train ourselves, we can direct ourselves toward the path of destruction. Or on the other hand, James teaches us that the tongue can be used to edify, can also be used to build up, to refresh, to delight others. <clears throat> That's what the tongue should be used for. If she speaks words that come out of a love of a pure heart and a sincere faith, that pure heart and a sincere faith that we can find in God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, it should be a soothing balm to all who are touched by it. We can have such a transformed heart and therefore such a source, such a pool from which that wonderful, refreshing, edifying, clean, clister, crystal clear water of the Word of God flows and manifests itself through us. We, may, we need to make ourselves available to Him. We need to watch, to watch what we say, and most importantly, what we think before we say something. But it can be done. We can praise God for that. We can praise God for giving us what it takes for us to control even such an uncontrollable thing as our tongue by His presence and by His power. The next time we'll see some other things about the tongue and how God teaches us through the Word of God and through the Bible how to use it and not use it, specific things, specific ways in which we can avoid the pitfalls of the tongue and specific ways in which we can actually use it for good. The book of Proverbs is filled with instructions about the tongue. The whole scripture actually contains a lot of instruction. But if you want to read something ahead of time, if you would like to read something that will be quite educational, quite preparatory for that, read the book of Proverbs. And you will see how much in there we are instructed on the use, the proper use and the wrong use of the tongue and of the words. Well, that's all, that's all praise God in the meantime, that we can understand through the words that God gave James to share with us. So we can understand that there is a key, there is a solution, and the key is our hearts. And through the words of Jesus, that we understand that the tongue can only express what fills the heart. And by the grace of God, the heart can be different, and so the words can also be different. By the grace of God, the heart can be filled with His love, so the words that come out of us can be filled with His love as well. If we're careful. If we're careful. And tap onto that source. 
and tap into him and keep a relationship with him first and foremost in our life and mind and heart. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for sharing with us words of life through the scriptures. Thank you so much indeed for sending the word, the logos, to come among us and teach us and reveal to us things that we would never otherwise know, including you, Father. We can only know you because you have revealed yourself to us through and in Jesus. We thank you. We praise you for that. We ask you that your presence in us through the Holy Spirit may be manifest and manifest in the abundance of thoughts that are influenced by your love, by your presence. And then from the abundance of those thoughts, thoughts that are centered on, in, in you and in your word, then from those thoughts we can draw words, speech, that is indeed a soothing balm for everyone around us. Words that can be encouraging, edifying, refreshing, delightful. Thank you, Father, for giving us the ability to speak, a unique ability in your creation. Help us to use this gift that you've given to us to heal and not to destroy, to edify and not to tear down, to honor you and not to puff up ourselves. Thank you again. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.